brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Crime Corner. In a world. Are you a white female? It's then you're going to gonna love this show. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Get a glass of wine, pop a Vicodin, and get ready to get scared. Get a divorce, <laughs> own a cat, yep. should, light a candle, and get ready for this. Yeah, yeah. Get into the bath, ladies. <laughs> light a candle because it's time for some murder. are desperately searching for a killer accused of going on a rampage. The search for a possible serial killer. An urgent manhunt for a man authorities believe is behind a triple killing spree. Police here speculating that a possible serial killer may have struck again. Told her to get out of the car and that's when she became afraid and then I shot her. Welcome to our second episode of Crime Corner uh, with Jesse Wiseman or Jesse Wiseman's Crime Corner. We're there still we working go. on my yeah, crippling still sense workshopping of insecurity. The, we're, <laughs> the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My crippling. <laughs> Wait for those focus groups to come back with whether they like the name first top or afterwards. Or bottom. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. they like mm-hmm. the name top <laughs> or bottom, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We're doing a very certain, certain kind of focus group. What? Okay, so today we're doing another... Uh, horrific, horrible case. My favorites are the long, complicated, horrible cases. This <laughs> takes the cake, in my opinion, compared to the last episode. Yeah, I this think is worse this than the last is, one. Uh, yes, but not the like chopping babies' heads off and shit. I I think that in terms of. <laughs> Of being that wasn't bad, Joel's like, what the fuck is <laughs> yeah, gonna happen? That's why I brought my flashlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm learning really yeah. fast. Wait, this one's not as bad as the baby chopping, head chopping one? I think this one's a little bit more complicated yes. in terms of following the storyline. Yes. Uh, oh, great. It has a lot more twists and turns. It's sort of like, uh, it's like an M. Night Shyamalan film, except it's really well acted. Yes, and the connection of characters as well as the butterfly effect of and rippling effect of one decision that some creep made, right? Mm. So, like, the amount yeah, of people through the years... walking home from school by himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ruins oh, we're talking about so the victim. Oh, okay, yeah, the victim's decision to be, like, a <laughs> dumb-dumb seven-year-old. Is kid? He's seven. Every no. show that I'm on now, it's, it's always about kids. Either was... getting fucked or killed. Listen... He doesn't die. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't die. That's a plus. Right? People do die because of... So we'll just tease it a little bit. It's about a kidnapping in the 70s. And okay. I think we're going to do some alternate... Another thing where we do like alternate titles, which is like this one might be the Stephen, Stephen and Carrie Stainer case, colon... Oh, the 70s, right? <laughs> like, because the 70s were such a fucking different time 
where all these things that happened could not have happened now because of things we learned back then. Particularly from things like this. A bunch of boys getting taken. Yeah, yeah. a whole, yeah. whole, a whole lot of kids going missing. Yes. Mm. And like we learned how to see the signs, not mind our own business, right? Like I think part of this case is people just kind of minding their own business, not really wanting to ask too many questions. But the kidnapping ends up turning into um, a ripple effect that ends next episode. It's a two-parter. That ends with the death of four people. With murder. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah. It- and lots of characters that are connected that ended up getting affected by this one decision. Again, of the victim. No. <laughs> Seven-year-old boy. Of this boy. fucking creep that took this boy. Well, I mean, give him some credit. He was a minister. He was just trying now, to. Trying you can to tell me a, a who was he really? No, he was, okay, okay. No, he who are we talking about? All right, let's get started. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> that was just a little teaser. Well, cheers, ladies. Cheers. Episode two, we're actually fucking doing it. You guys, yeah. we're doing it. All right, let's do it. Mm. Coop is going to be reading this because he has the voice of a an amazing a radio host, angel, seventy-year-old smoker. An angel that is hosting a radio show, right? That's your voice <laughs> that smoked for 20 years, and I love that. Our favorite liquor store guy back in California called him the Golden Throat for different Did reasons. Did I know him? What liquor store? Let's the go one, nostalgic. Uh, Meta Market. Meta Market, on right on Meta Street. Meta and yes. Hemlock. Yeah. Oh, the days. His name's Ray. He's from Syria. You probably you probably recognize him. I'm sure I met him. Oh, I'm you know. sure <laughs> I met him, right? Yeah. I, I Been there forever. You know, lots of Syrian Christian refugees. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely the, from the liquor stores in California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We wanted to take a picture with him. And he was like, oh, no, no. Oh. And like, was like, no photos. No. Actually, yeah, he was actually concerned about connections back home because he was a... a no he, shit. Yeah, he fled the country for in fear of his life. Those are the best I kinds. Think I mean, that that was only part of the story. Also, I I have a feeling that Ray is going to show up as a topic life. for a future episode of, yeah. of oh Jesse Weissman's Crime Corner. Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's get let's get into it, and um, I will, as always, interrupt you annoyingly. I I hope to God. Okay, um, you welcome it, and we do this. This turned out to be. Uh, mm. Much longer than I was expecting. I, well, there's I a lot of tried things. to cut it off at, at five pages. Right, ended up being about seven and a half pages. We can do it. Yeah, we can. We can get through this. So, without further ado, this is the, the part one of the Stainer Brothers. Ah, the seventies. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, it's the full title. Alternate title. Yeah. Ah, the seventies. Right. That seventies abduction. <laughs> Is it aw, or is it like aw? No, it's like nostalgic, like, ugh, you know what I mean? How great were the 70s, right? You could okay. just take fucking kids. Now, that's what I call a 70s child abduction, volume one. Yes! <laughs> the Stainers were a normal family living in the so-called Gateway to Yosemite, Merced, California. The family consisted of parents Delbert and Kay, along with three daughters and two sons. And it is these two sons, Stephen and Carrie, that will be the focus of our story. I tried to find the names of all three of his sisters. I could find two of them, Corey and Cynthia. Third sister, 
apparently does not want to be found. Understandably so. Hmm. Understandably, and also that's pretty indicative of what the family was like. If I don't know if you're getting into that, but not exactly the Brady Bunch. Not too touchy feely. Pretty much, we make sure they have food and water, <laughs> right? And that's about it. And all the seventies is like we let our seven-year-old walk home from school. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Where it's like yeah. I have an eight-year-old and I can't even imagine having him walk somewhere like after you school. You don't let him walk home. She doesn't, no, and he she could. doesn't let him walk at all. She carries him anywhere, everywhere. Yes, he's in a stroller still. Is that weird? <laughs> Actually, a Bjorn, a baby Bjorn. I carry him out, facing gonna, out, though. Now you're going to tell her that it's wrong that she's still breastfeeding him. Yeah. 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 Wait until you now, have a child, Now you're going to say the leash is weird. <laughs> Come on, dude. But Don't even touch on the baby cage or she is going to go nuts. That's like a crib. Leashes. Yeah. The leashes are cool. <laughs> yeah, the leashes are real. I hate, like... Like, least shaming is people that don't have kids. Anyone that has a kid or a toddler is like, got you. The leash yeah, is like, yeah, it. it's literally Your buzz good. level can pa- be higher. Yes. You it's have, good parenting. Pay less attention, yeah. If, so old, if old Kay Stainer had a leash, we wouldn't be doing this fucking yeah. story. <laughs> okay, so thank God they didn't have baby leashes back in the 70s exactly. or else we wouldn't have an episode today. Exactly. So what was the t- town they're from? Uh, Merced, California. Northern California. So Little Town, uh, I don't know, like, it, they say it's the gateway to Yosemite. So it's literally right before you get to yeah. the park. Yeah, surrounded by a lot of peach orchards and almond farms and right outside Yosemite. So it, honestly, from the pictures that I've seen, it's a beautiful area. Oh, yeah. Like a, this is, it's amazing why, like, area. it was easy for this to happen and why it became so big is because not a lot of stuff happened there like it, this. Yeah, it also makes for a, a really good story. Yeah. Carrie Gregory Stainer, the oldest of the five children, was born on August 13th, 1961. Stephen Gregory Stainer was the middle child, born on 18th, uh, April 18th, 1965. Despite the four-year age difference, the brothers had a close relationship growing up and spent much of their time outside of school together. Carrie looked out for Stephen, and Stephen looked up to Carrie. And I think it plays into the story in the long run. Yes. Delbert and Kay allowed their children to walk to and from school on their own. Merced was a safe town with very little crime. The year was 1972. Kevin Spacey was just a child living in New Jersey, and R. Kelly was still (laughs) king in his pampers all the way in Chicago. Important to point out. Well, I'm just just making sure everybody understands the Stainers had no reason to think that their children were at risk. Right, Mm. because of those two people not being around. Well, they're the greatest predators of our lifetimes. Uh. Ugh. On December 4th, 1972, seven-year-old Stephen Stainer didn't come home after school. His family searched along the route he took every day to and from school, but nobody had seen hide nor hair of the young boy. Well, Can we say it wasn't did. until that night, too? <laughs> so, like, it's one of those things that even a seven-year-old walking home from school, you would still be like, oh, maybe he went out. Yeah. Like, they still were like, right? So, yeah, he's probably at the bar. Yeah, they were well, like, they, oh, they, we, they thought he was, like, dawdling home from school again and found some, you know, something else to do or whatever. So it wasn't, right. in, yeah, it wasn't until that night that they were like, hmm, That's let's strange. Check. Our yeah. seven-year-old isn't here. Yeah, and then they called the cops. So, yeah. My sister and I have talked about this before, that the stuff that our parents let us get away with growing up, unimaginable for like my niece and nephew, because right. even when I was as young as Steven Stainer, 
I would spend, especially during the summer, I would spend all day, every day until after dark out in the hills of southeast Oregon where there's cougars, there's coyotes, there's rattlesnakes everywhere, scorpions all over the place. Right. But I think if... Pedophiles. Pe- well, yeah. I think <laughs> your parents were probably like, well, if, you have, if I have to choose between a you know cougar mauling and like a pedophile, 100% I would choose a cougar. cougar. Yeah, right? cougar. Yeah. Like I would rather find the kid like, oh man, you fought a good fight against the fucking cougar <laughs> than that fucking but crazy thank God shit. you didn't get molested. Unless the right? cougar molested you before... Beforehand, and then that's just the worst case scenario in Southeast Oregon back in the eighties. Right. Didn't you guys have that rule? My mom's rule was be home at when the sun goes down. Yeah, well, or when was, the lights come down, or like all that yeah, shit. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when the street lights so come that on. Was My mom their actually. Rule. Oh yeah, one hundred percent, or lack thereof. It was or literally like, <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, if he doesn't come home at a certain time, like he had gotten in trouble for not, but he's off with his girlfriend. Right. <laughs> There's like, I mean, what were you? Seven's pretty young though. You didn't start. Maybe thinking like an hour after he was supposed to be home. But anyways. It's funny. My my mom had a rule where as soon as it started getting dark, as soon as the sun started coming down, we had to be close enough to our house where if she whistled, we could hear her. Oh, that's She could whistle really, like super, super (laughs) loud. It's a fucking redneck shit. Dang, Coop. I didn't know you had it like that. So my sister and I, as soon as the sun started going down, we would make sure that we're close enough to the house, and then off in the distance, we would hear a whistle and be like, oh, shit, we got to run home or else we're going to get our asses whooped. That's crazy. And that's why we were never abducted. It's very true. So his family searched along the route he took to and from school every day, but nobody had seen hide nor hair of the young boy. It seemed as if he had disappeared into thin air. The Stainer family was understandably semi-devastated, considering the relationship they had with their children. Right. One was... A bit worried. Yeah, one was bummed. The other one was like, well... He'll show up. Ah, he's Business as usual. He's seven yep. years old. He could take care of himself. I had two full-time jobs by the time I was seven. Yeah, they had a lot of kids, too. Although the disappearance of Stephen affected the entire family, it seemed to be particularly hard on his father, Delbert, and his older brother, Carrie. And I mean that in the sense that it seemed to have more of a negative psychological effect yes. on the on the two of them. Or yes. His mom always kind of held on to hope that maybe he wasn't dead. And yes. she... She held on to hope, but she was also no, you know, no offense... But she was also one of those moms that was just like not very again like touchy feely, didn't show a lot of emotion even well, she's in got four any kids. So you know what I mean? She's though, got like all the interviews, it's very much just like yeah. And so we thought, oh. you know what I mean? Like it she's seems very like, yeah. Both of the parents weren't <laughs> affectionate, right? But the dad for some reason was like really grieving about it, and uh, kind of one of the problems was he would grieve like smell Steiner, uh steven's clothes like and cry in On front camera? of in front of carrie so in front of the other kid um, the older brother would just like be grieving and like kind of did one of what's that sh- what's that movie like walk hard where he's like the wrong the wrong kid died right <laughs> like he would the do wrong the wrong son dad like he would but. kind of do that shit like he would say weird stuff like my real son and like all this so we're also getting into the Carrie psychology. Yeah, we'll of we'll get into a little bit of the the story with Carrie on this one right. because he was largely neglected through this whole process, and he was very very close with Stephen too. Right. So he but was grieving, his parents and then did not care that this was affecting Carrie. No, 
it wasn't about like making sure the kids were okay with it or anything. It was literally just like, oh God, our, you know, hero son, whatever. So it's like, no, fuck you. I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah. And the boy's like, okay. When the police and volunteer search parties were unable to find Stephen, Delbert took matters into his own hands. Sort of like a, he kind of went Batman on this case for a little while, but you fucking should, right? Wouldn't you? You went Mel Gibson. They both should, dude. I'd be like knocking on every door, like doing all the shit that you're not supposed to do. It seemed like that's what Delbert was doing when they couldn't find his son because he would literally follow any lead that he could find. And he would drive miles and miles away because somebody said, oh, I thought I maybe mm-hmm. saw something that might be a dead body on this hillside, you know, 30 miles away. Mm-hmm. But, so the worried father launched his own investigation following leads and often driving for miles through the surrounding forests searching for Stephen. As time so wore he did on, care a bit. Uh, yeah, he did. He, he cared much more about Stephen than he cared about Carrie, though. Okay. Did you uh, read about the grandpa children. stuff? The grandpa stuff? Yeah. No, oh, I don't we'll think get, so. We'll get into it, I guess, after the abduction. Uh, okay, now I'm curious to, yeah, to hear about that. Yeah, so yeah. as time wore on, Delbert knew that he was no longer looking for his son. He was looking for his son's body. Fuck. Right. As Delbert continued Sorry, his bro. Sherlock Holmes-esque it, search for Stephen. Yeah. You imagine his, like, having to come to terms with that change? It, uh, oh, no. It, it, the entire situation, even if... If they knew their son was alive but didn't know where he was, that would still be horrifying. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, at least just, you know they're alive. That I think that that would be one of the more difficult things is not knowing. Yep. You one hundred percent. You don't know if you should still have hope that you're going to see him again, or if you should come to terms with their death. Like there's there's no closure when somebody just disappears. And yeah. it's the idea of like looking at. Every single person, looking at every single car, looking at every time you pass something on the road, like Fucking literally, yeah, be in hell for a constant, time. right? Yes, he, yeah. he disappeared in this town. Somebody in this town is most likely responsible for it. Who right. wasn't? And so you're like, just it must like kill you. But oh, it would, it would. Fuck. Drive would you rather absolutely from, insane? If what you, if you lost a kid? Would you rather them be gone and know they're alive or? But you can never get them back. You don't know what's happening to them. Maybe they're being tortured or whatever, but you know they're alive. Is that better? Shit. Or is it better that, just to know well, they're dead? I mean, how, how are you going to... Or yeah. is it better to know they're dead? That is a, a really... That's a real meta meta world. Yeah, I guess. Because well, I guess you won't, you don't know if I did know they were alive, then I would be spending every... Right? You, you would, would never... You would, yeah, I would, you, never, you would never stop, stop trying to get them back. Them. Yeah. And that would drive you I think absolutely if you, insane. If you knew that they were gone, but they were safe, and you could never see them again, it would be more comforting than knowing that they were just dead. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, knowing that they're gone and being tortured. Yeah, and, you added the torture part there. Well, you don't know their situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, knowing that they're gone but still alive... It, I mean, it's, it's. But you just think they're you. Everyone, that's what they do, right? That you it's think tricky. that they're alive until you. Yes, one hundred percent. They're dead. One hundred percent. Your mind won't. Literally, every single person that has like had to be told that a body is somewhere instead of them finding it, the family one hundred percent up until that moment thinks that there's a chance. Yeah, 
One hundred percent. No matter what. I've also heard, uh, you know, from stories that if somebody has been missing for long enough, finally, somebody finally discovering the body is a relief because yes. they finally know. Once what they've happened. gotten to that point, it's awful, it's, but it's like a close. It's closure. Yes. Yeah, it's closure. It's, it's so that you're not putting a, a, a nice little button on the whole situation, so you know what you have to deal with next. Yes, and you can, you start the next process, like the grieving right. process. Right. Yeah. Trying to move on. Fuck. So as like Delbert continued his no. Sherlock Holmes-esque search. Let's hear it for our next advertiser, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with over 3 million members. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. Uh, it's just you against the numbers. You pick more than or less than uh, two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Uh, the big game is always right around the corner. Prize picks is the easiest and most exciting way to turn every game-changing moment into a hundred times your money potentially with as little as four correct picks. You can turn ten dollars into a thousand dollars. Uh, it's demon time on prize picks. Uh, so you're going at it here. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Uh, squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. Uh, and again, now you can win up to a hundred times your money with as little as four correct picks. If you want to play alongside uh, alongside some of the prize picks favorite players like uh, Meek Mill, Andrew Schultz, you can find them in the community plays underneath the promos tab of the app uh, to view the entries from some of the biggest names in prize picks community each and every week. This week on prize picks, I'm selecting Steph Curry for more than 29 points and the Joker for more than 10 rebounds. I think Bob's taking Anthony Davis uh, for more than two blocks and Damian Lillard for four three-pointers made. Go to prizepicks.com slash Ross Patterson and use the code Ross Patterson for a first deposit match for up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash Ross Patterson and use code Ross Patterson for a first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Yeah! Let's give it up for Liquid IV. Yeah! .com, baby! Promo code Nooners over there is going to get you 20% off your first order. Rage this weekend. Jobless. On accident. I feel like it was an accidental rage this weekend. Yeah. And uh, I needed some liquid IV to start off today. I start every day with a liquid IV. Um, our kids are using liquid IV. Yes. Um, they've got the new and improved sugar-free liquid IVs as well. And Pear is back. Pear is back. That's my favorite. Pear was my favorite there. Um, big fan. But uh, hanging out, watching sports, hanging out with the friends and all that other stuff. You start boozing, lose track of time, and then you're like, oh, shit. I need to rehydrate for the week. Got to pop in that liquid IV. Are you a daily girl? Because I don't see you every single morning all the time. Yeah, I'm a daily girl. So I do um, one of the sugar-free grapes mm. or the sugar-free apple, which are my new faves, in 24 ounces. Okay. So it is supposed to be just in, they say, like, put a packet in 16, 8, 16 ounces. 16 ounces of water. And that's going yep. to... 
hydrate you double. Um, I put in the 24 ounce, maybe onesie or twosie. Yeah. And go through the day. Yeah, it's I do too. life changing. I, I call it Hydration Monday here on the show because it's, uh, it's one of those things where, again, you go hard over the weekends, you got the kids, you're not eating great, uh, you're boozing with some friends or whatever, and then boom, reset on Mondays, pop in the liquid IV, and you're good to go. Um, but it's, uh, it's a little pouch. That's it. You're ripping open, popping into liquid, 16 ounces or more. And you're good to go. Super easy there. Three times the electrolytes, uh, no artificial sweeteners, eight vitamins and nutrients, non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. Weekends are for going wild. Have a game plan for Monday with Liquid IV. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code Nooners at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Superior Hydration today using promo code Nooners at liquidiv.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. For Stephen, Carrie suffered in silence. His parents were so focused on the loss of one son that they began neglecting the other, and Carrie was left to work through his grief alone. Carrie would often go outside alone late at night, look at the sky, and wish upon a star that his brother would return home safe. The stress and loneliness led him to develop a form of obsessive-compulsive disorder, which caused him to pull out chunks of his hair, leaving behind bald patches that he would keep hidden under a hat. And this is, a, this is a kid in his like, early, early teens. Yeah. His hormones are kicking in. Perfect timing for this to happen for him. <laughs> yeah, perfect timing, especially with two loving parents helping you through the whole situation. Yeah. Sure. By 1980, the Stainers had pretty much accepted that Stephen was dead. Although Kay was still hopeful that her son may miraculously be found alive someday, Delbert knew if the police ever found anything, it would likely be a corpse. It had been seven years since Stephen had gone missing, and the likelihood of him still being alive was practically non-existent. Then in March of 1980, Kay Stainer received a phone call. On the other end of the line was a detective who told her that before he said anything else, she should probably sit down. It was about Stephen. Shit. She knew this was the call that the family had been dreading for nearly ten years. Kay took a seat, and the detective gave her the news. Stephen was alive. I knew it. They found Right? <laughs> Holy shit, he's alive. <laughs> but I like his Joel going through the journey like... <laughs> I, I told him before, real time. before this episode, I was like, don't look up anything about the episode. It's yeah. going to be a lot better if... Yeah. It, it lands a lot better if you don't know what's going on. So now he's like 14? 14? 14 years old. Fuck. And his big brother... Uh, he's like 18 so now? So his brother, yeah, his brother yeah. would have been 18 at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was four years older. On March 1st, 1980, Stephen Stainer showed up at a police station in Ukiah, California with a five-year-old boy named Timothy White. 
Little Timmy had been reported missing after he was abducted from his front yard the previous month. And once in police custody, Stephen began to tell the story behind his seven-year absence. Oh, shit. Ooh, I like it. You're Tarant- he's Tarantinoing. <laughs> Wait, so how far away is I like that how you did this. town from, from the other town? Uh, well, they, they moved around a lot. Ukiah is, I want to say Ukiah is like maybe like 40, 40 miles away from Merced. 40, yeah. So like someone drove from there. Well, I guess well they they yeah, they whole, moved around. That was where they eventually moved. But like you'll hear in the beginning, for a while they were only like thirty minutes from the family. Not only that, first Fuck. place they went was about one hundred yards from his grandpa's house. Oh, so they went to the grandpa's house. That was the grandpa stuff. Let's go. Um, so go. I don't I don't dig real deep into the grandpa stuff because the okay the. Details of everything else is a yeah, yeah. Uh, little bit more... Uh, I like I, to dig deep into grandpa stuff, so I'll do it. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, there was... You like grandpas? Yeah, like dude. Kurt Russell as Santa Claus? Yeah, yeah. I oh, like grandpas. God, hell yeah. Fat grandpas? Hello. Mommy or daddy. Daddy. <laughs> this is the second episode in a row that you've been talking about, your, your love for chubby old men. Oh, yeah. And you know what I haven't said yet? <laughs> the end of the Don't worry, I won't go into it. I... <laughs> okay, I've got it out of the way, yeah. guys. Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Okay, let's do this were... thing. I know. I was I'm waiting. proud of you for holding back for uh, I mean, damn near 30 minutes at this point. That no, must I know. Have been torture. Yeah, people at home are like, she's acting a little bit weird, kind of quiet, right? That we're good now. Anybody watching the video is like, why is she? Why is her eye twitching? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to drink every time Jesse says prolapse from now on. <laughs> Back on that cold winter day in 1972, Stephen was on his way home from school when he was approached by uh, Irvin Edward Murphy, not Eddie Murphy. I oh yeah, you I probably had a got really different confused. idea. Yeah, yeah, not not bro- Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's brother. Uh, Yeah, Eddie Murphy's Uh, brother. Murphy was a simple-minded man who worked at a resort in Yosemite National Park. While working at the park, he met a sick bastard named Kenneth Parnell. Mm. And Kenneth Parnell is the first villain of our story. Yes. Kenneth. I think I would venture to say the main villain because... Absolutely. Like I was saying in the beginning, everything kind of ripples from his... Bullshit. And I would say every single person in this entire story is his victim. Yes. He was he was oh, he's a mastermind. A very manipulative person. Like frighteningly manipulative. Yes. Okay. Parnell was a convicted child rapist who posed as a, as a minister in order to convince Murphy to help him abduct a young boy. Holy Parnell shit. claimed that he was a God fearing man who just wanted a son to raise in what Murphy said was, quote, a religious type deal. Sadly, Parnell had more in common with Catholic priests than an actual Baptist minister. And that was a pedophile. Bro. Yeah, right? Yeah. Shots fired. Yeah, but fuck you, <laughs> Vatican. Yeah, I know. Um, Murphy was very simple minded. Like the IQ, I think, was very low. Yeah, and yeah. he actually. It honestly seems like he didn't know that he was doing anything wrong. And uh, Stephen yeah. Stainer himself even defended him yes. later on. Saying Either he that, didn't that he know was... 
or the threats were worked on him because of his yeah. yeah both both could be true so as Stephen made his way home murphy approached him and explained that he was gathering donations on behalf of the church murphy asked if Stephen's mother might have any items to donate to which the boy replied yes and at this point parnell pulled up in his white buick and the men offered to drive Stephen home and wow. he was really only like he was really close to his house why, yeah. why but it was like raining. I think it was raining. It was a cold winter day. It was uh, sleet is what I heard, but yeah. I don't know what the fuck sleet is. I think it's just really cold rain. It's right. not snow, but... Yeah. Stephen climbed into the car with the supposed men of God and then spent the next seven years in hell. Holy shit. Uh, and at this time, I don't think that that Stephen, uh, well, considering his age, there was no way that he could have known what type of danger he was in. Right. They came together to get him? Yeah, so... <laughs> this dumb dude and... and her, so Parnell Kenneth? was uh, Parnell was 41, and Murphy was younger than him. Uh, right? Yeah, he was in his, I want to say, like early to mid-30s. Oh, okay. So Parnell was like the mastermind, and he kind of used someone else to sort of vouch for him right so did steven know the guy because he lived there no no he didn't know either one of them no, no. but again all the 70s uh people taught their kids to be like polite and nice and sociable and there was no the strength the term stranger danger has not even been a thing yet or that idea that like it was something that we all really need to think about yeah. it was like these you know, that happens to, like, this person, one-offs, it's not a big deal. So Both Stephen and Timothy spent the later parts of their lives going around lecturing children to not trust strangers. Yes. And that's why I, I think that when I was growing up in the 80s, that was, like, a major thing. You don't oh, talk to don't strangers. Talk to there was, like, passwords for, like, people picking you up. Yes, like, I remember all that. this mm-hmm. shit. The schools got way more on. I, I could party. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no need for a password here, right? I'm down. It's like, wait, what's the password? Yeah. Just whatever kidding. they Just said. Like, whatever they care. said, you were like, yep, cool. You got it. You Let's got go. it. That's the one. You got candy in that panel van? Yeah. Puppies? Perfect. Sweet. <laughs> I love both those things. <laughs> but uh, yes, so there was no. Yeah, there was no, again, stranger danger. There was no, you weren't taught to fear that. Yeah, I think this was one of the cases that kind of brought that to prominence because it, it blew up nationwide. Yes. yes. Like the uh, even while Stephen was still missing, it was like a, a, it was on the news nationwide. Yes. So it's one of the cases that kind of everybody else learned from. Yes. When Parnell began driving, Stephen noticed that they weren't driving to his home. He asked the men where they were going, and Parnell told him that he thought it would be fun if Stephen spent the night at their house. I hate spending the night at somebody's house who I know. I'm like, no, just let me go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even and I'm I'm talking as a 38 year old. Yeah, like, yeah, just no, just I'm done. Let me go home. <laughs> yeah, but if uh, you're if you're like a nice seven year old, someone could get you to do that. Oh, dude, 100%. I was. I am blown away that I was never kidnapped as a child because I was, even after being lectured about stranger danger, I was so fucking polite that if somebody was like, no, no, just come with me. 
You just don't want them to. You don't want to make them feel bad. You know what I mean? I don't want to hurt this pervert. I just don't want any awkwardness. So I'll just get in the car. Uh, so they they said that they thought it would be fun if Stephen spent the night at their house, and they would make sure it was okay with Stephen's parents, of course. Yeah. Parnell then took the frightened and confused boy to a cabin in Kathy's Valley, which I think was about like 15, 20 minutes away. He, he liked to stay in places that were outside of town. Yes. Wow. So he was close the whole time? Mm-hmm. In the beginning? For, in the beginning. Uh, well, I mean, it, like, The whole time they were looking like... In the beginning when there were searches and stuff like that, yes, he was very close. Uh, literally the entire story takes place within 40 miles of his, his family's yeah. house. Yeah. Which That's crazy. Is, so that has Daddy to be could so... have found him. So he, yeah. he was probably close a couple times. Yep. Well, if he actually was Batman, he could have found him. But he's not the greatest detective on earth. He's just some asshole who doesn't hug his kids. Right. Yeah. Kenneth Parnell wasted no time before getting what he actually wanted with young Stephen. During their first night at the cabin, Parnell molested him, and then the abuse escalated from there. We're not going to be going into details Don't because worry. even Good. Stephen Stephen wouldn't even give the details on it. Right. Parnell did, but we don't need to get into that. Yeah, we don't need it to was get into uh, that It was every... It was every day. It, it was oh, for seven years. It every was, day? It was bad. Uh, well, so what, it, he, he just got too old. So he's like, yeah, one hundred percent. You're actually exactly oh, right. Hell, oh, you kind of have like the mind of a pedophile. Don't <laughs> 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 you dare say that. I'm joking. <laughs> Cut that out. Cut that out. That's not a funny joke. No, leave that <laughs> okay. in. We, we need. Don't a, leave it we in. We need everybody to know us as characters. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm the pedophile. Bro. Hey, you're, cut all this out. <laughs> your, your choice of words, not mine. <laughs> okay. Go. Well, I mean, this is a bad part to get back in. Within two weeks, Parnell oh. was raping Stephen on a regular basis, as sure. we just said. Sure, sure. After being separated from his family and repeatedly abused, Stephen began begging to be taken home. Did as they it, tie him up and shit? Like how? No. He's a, oh, no. Just wait until... So the manipulation... Because he's old of... enough to try to get away. No, right, the, the, but... The mental manipulation... Of a seven-year-old, that's why we like... He got mentally... Yeah, like, that's why we talk about, like, seven-year-old, like, seven to, you know, up to, like, 13 or whatever, 12, probably. He had a mind-controlled. You are able to... And for as long as a kid believes in Santa, do you know what I mean? Like You can get them to believe literally anything. Yes, and especially if you're an adult, they're a child, like... I believed in Santa until I was, like, 21. Right? Yeah. So now imagine how devastating it was when you learned that Santa wasn't real, and and at the same time you're being sexually molested. God, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucked up, funny, dude. It's, yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> Kenneth Parnell was a fucking monster, and yeah. so he was he was not only able to manipulate a seven year old, which I mean, a, a seven year old who hasn't been taught to distrust strangers and, yes. and distrust certain adults, it's going to be that much easier. But Kenneth Parnell was able to manipulate full-blown adults. Yes. So he had... He, he had, had some, this forest ranger manipulated too. Uh, which, or oh, whatever well, Yeah, uh, the guy. resort worker, uh, yeah. Murphy. Uh, that, he's not even was the that only person that, that he... Had, yeah, the whole time. He was there. And yeah. Stephen said that, that Murphy was actually kind to him. Right. That that Murphy was as much of a victim as 
he yeah. feels and like Murphy was a, as much of a victim as he was. And right? Murphy he, wasn't doing anything naughty? <laughs> no. No, he was a and just didn't he know. Was, he was an accomplice. Like I said, he was he, mentally slow. Mentally and, slow, and he either knew the first night he kind of like was fighting with Parnell about it after, like the next day, like what the fuck, and Parnell somehow was like, "Dude, this is was able to tell him this is basically your fault too. If I go to the cops, you're the exact same, so you mm. will be in just as much trouble yeah. as I am. So just like." What the fuck? As if the physical abuse wasn't sadistic enough, Parnell began to play twisted mind games with the young boy. He told Stephen that this is his home now. Parnell claimed that he had had been uh, granted legal custody of Stephen. His parents were struggling to support so many children, and they had willingly given up their youngest son to cut back on bills. Parnell also convinced the boy that arguments his parents had previously had were all Stephen's fault. They wouldn't want him back even if they could afford to get him back. Yeah. He he convinced Stephen and that his family it. didn't he want He believed him. it because, like, if It was already of, shitty there. Yeah. A couple yeah, of those had, things were true. had fights before. Yeah. But, well, the, the crazy thing is, Parnell didn't know about that at that point. He was just, just taking a shot in the dark, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. oh, have you ever seen your parents fighting before? Mm-hmm. And Stephen's like, well, yeah, he's like, yeah, that was your fault. Yeah. Right. They don't and want you he, back. He was smart enough too, smart and monstrous enough to be like, did you do something that you did recently is the reason why you're here. Can you think of anything that you did? Just getting him to say everything and using it so against him. So he was like, That's yeah. why that's not admissible in court because that's called leading the witness. And that's yeah. exactly what he was doing. Right. So he was like, can you think of anything? And he was like, yeah, they had gotten mad at him like two days before and was like really pissed. So like he was able to, he's a master. Yeah. With kids anyways. Parnell not only took Stephen's innocence away, he took away his identity. He began calling the boy Dennis Parnell, telling neighbors and acquaintances that that was his son. For the next several years, Parnell moved Stephen from city to city, never staying in one place long enough to get caught. He started calling him Dennis Gregory Parnell. He kept the same middle name mm-hmm. and the same birth date and would use that information to enroll him in school. He was going to school? Dude, uh, we'll get into fuck. it later. Yeah. But... Let me let me go to the grandpa stuff really quick. Dig into the grandpa oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I like digging into <laughs> So when, when the dad went on his rampage like the first couple of days looking for him, he went to... Uh, I think his father's or his wife's father's house, grandpa, and was yards away, like literally two houses down. Less than 100 yards away. And it was his, you know, it was the grandpa who was like estranged and shitty and they hated him and was always like, you need to get rid of one of those kids, blah, blah, blah. So clearly he was like, let me check grandpa's house first. What he didn't know is that he was literally right next to the dude. And Stephen didn't know that either, because if Stephen would have known that, there, Obviously. I mean, there's a, a chance that if if he would have had a better relationship with, with his, his grandpa, grandpa and would have known where he lived, he would have went there. He could have walked there easily. Yes. He would have known where he was. He would have been familiar with the place, and he would have found. Yeah. To stay under the radar, Parnell tried to keep an outward appearance of normalcy. He enrolled Stephen in school in whatever city they were living in, and he allowed him to have friends, and at one point even gave him a dog. 
a Manchester Terrier named Queenie. It was actually a gift from Parnell's mother, and Parnell just gave him the dog. And Stephen later said that Queenie was the only positive aspect of his life during his captivity. I couldn't find out what happened to the dog, though. I'm assuming it's probably nothing happier than anything else in the story. Yeah, probably everything in this story sucks. <laughs> this is fucking Sorry, terrible. <laughs> we haven't Joel's even... like, I don't want to do this shit. Yeah, what did I give myself into? I know, dude. Haven't even gotten to the second twist. No, there is a there is a bright point. I think that there's a very bright point because once I had started writing out the closing to the episode, I was like, okay, this is actually kind of. I mean, it's it's tragic, but at the same time, it, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that at the end. Oddly, for the majority of his time with Parnell, Stephen was left mostly to his own devices. He was frequently left unsupervised while Parnell was at work, and he could pretty much come and go as he pleased. Stephen would later admit that he had countless opportunities to flee, but he didn't know how to find uh, find help. Besides that, Stephen still believed that his family didn't want him. Even if he did escape, where was he going to go? go? Right. When Stephen was nine years old, a woman named Barbara Mathias moved in with Parnell. She lived with Parnell and Stephen for a little over a year and a half, during which time she joined in on the sexual abuse of Stephen, and she even helped Parnell in another kidnapping attempt, which was thankfully unsuccessful. Matthias later claimed that she had no idea that Stephen wasn't Parnell's biological son, and she also denied sexually abusing Stephen, although he maintained that she raped him on at least nine occasions. She may have kind of helped a little bit with a failed abduction of another child, but people do crazy things for love. Just look at Will Smith. And much like Will Smith, <laughs> much like Will Smith, Barbara was never punished for her crimes. She was never even arrested. Cool. So she was well, out When there. did she come in the picture? Uh, she was there he about was two nine. years, two so, yeah. years after he was abducted. And Mine's she was around for about a year and a half. So a little while after he was 10 years old is when she left. And she got uh, picked up to be questioned about the entire kidnapping case. And they were just like, oh, okay, fuck it, whatever, get out of here. Never faced any punishment. Crazy. Even after it came to light that she tried to help Parnell kidnap another kid. Still yeah, just got out. Seventies, right? <laughs> it's really just like meh, but you didn't really do anything. How old is she? She's hopefully she's fucking dead now. Uh, at this point, yeah, she's definitely dead. Yeah, good. Something many of you know about children is that they have a tendency to grow up. Something else many of you know is that pedophiles are attracted to children. So as Stephen grew into a teenager, Parnell began to lose interest in him and left him to do pretty much whatever he wanted. Stephen was allowed to drink, smoke, and do pretty much anything else that popped into his mind because Parnell was too busy looking for his next victim. He would, like, have friends over. Like, this is what I mean by, like... He never told being, anybody? He had a full-blown exactly, life. Exactly, like, him being able to, like, go to school and, like, this Parnell guy <laughs> being able to enroll him in school and say that, like, his dad died and his mom left and... All these Whatever things. bullshit stories. Yeah, but like now. You can get away with it because it's all oh, uh, the 70s. Oh, the 70s, right? 70s. The darn 70s. The heyday of America. Days. Yeah. 
<laughs> and um, nobody's really questioning. Nobody really wants to like get into anybody's business. So it's like, sure, you're the guardian. You're enrolling in school. Must be a good kid too, because usually yeah. like a fucked up he kid, was the bully. Like, that was the or thing. get in trouble at school and shit. He neighbors, was a really good kid. like neighbors, what they would notice is they would notice that he had dirty fingernails and yeah, he, he would never... wear the same clothes all the mm-hmm. time. They could tell that he wasn't being taken care of, but. I don't want to get in my neighbor's business. That's rude. Yeah. Right. The idea of like calling DSS on anyone or like see something, say something. Any of that didn't exist was just back like. Then. Yeah. Kenneth Parnell began using Stephen to help him kidnap another young boy. Having endured, this is where major respect to Stephen. Yeah. Stephen's the hero of this fucking story. Yeah. Having endured years of abuse at the cold, clammy hands of Parnell. He wasn't about to let another child experience the horrors that he had. Stephen secretly sabotaged every attempt that Parnell made to abduct abduct another child. So Parnell recruited another teenager to help him out. Yeah. One of Stephen's friends. The hell? Randall Sean Poorman was a friend of Stephen's that spent a lot of time taking advantage of the fact that Parnell didn't give a shit if they drank or smoked. Parnell convinced Poorman to become his accomplice by promising to give him drugs and money. So Poorman agreed, and they set their sights on Parnell's next victim, Timothy White. And we mentioned Timothy White He's who earlier. He's the one that showed up, showed at, up the, at, the, at the police station with, 50 miles with Stephen. The house, yeah. uh, no, at this point, they're actually in... At this point, they're living in Ukiah, so they showed up at a, a local police station. I mean, I meant 50 miles from his parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, roughly 50 miles from his, his home. <clears throat> Poorman spotted five-year-old Timothy White playing in the front yard of his home in Ukiah, California. The teenager attempted to convince Timmy to get into Parnell's car, but he refused and attempted to run inside. Poorman grabbed Timmy White and dragged him kicking and screaming into the back seat of the car. He was to become Parnell's replacement for Stephen. And the story of Timothy being abducted sounds so horrible because Timothy was literally holding on to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the chain That's link like, fence. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Once Parnell got Timmy home. That's like lazy, too, right? Yeah. For Parnell, like, use your. My Use manipulation. your fucking shit, dude. Like, well, that's why you don't get a teenager to do the fucking job. Exactly. Oh, the teenager so dragged him was, in. Yeah. If Parnell would have gone himself, he probably could have manipulated the kid into. Yeah, or if the kid the ran, he would have just went on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once Parnell got Timmy home, he put the boy through the same mind games he had used on Stephen, and this all happened much quicker than it did with. With Stephen, the the manipulation process where it's like, oh, I want you to replace this other yeah, kid yeah, who's yeah. getting way too old. He's yeah, way past his prime. He dyed the boy's blonde hair dark brown and told him his new name was Tommy. Stephen watched the situation play out in front of him, bringing back terrible memories of what Parnell had put him through all those years ago. And Stephen wasn't going to let Timmy go through the same nightmare. Fucking hero. How old is... How old is he right now? So he's 14? Yeah, at this point he's 14. He's like 14. Timmy's... Timmy's five. Five? five? Mm-hmm. Fucking hell. <laughs> but... I can't do this show. No, Stephen Steven did not let the same thing happen to him. That's... I can't imagine at 14 years old being ballsy enough to, to help this... 
yeah. little kid. After being manipulated and abused for seven years, fourteen like, no, good age. Now, now, I'm, start getting now I'm done. Man hormones though. He started getting pissed off yeah, and shit. Yeah. Oh, he he manned the fuck up big time because Stephen took Timmy under his wing, looking out for him the same way his older brother Carrie had done for him all those years ago. Fuck yeah. For the next 16 days, Stephen did everything that he could to protect Timmy, all the while waiting for his opening to return him to his family. Then, on March 1st, 1980, he finally made his move. While Parnell was at work, Stephen took Timmy and fled the seven-year-long nightmare that he had been through. The house they lived in was in the boondocks outside of Ukiah, so the two boys walked down the road until a passing truck picked them up and drove them into town. Oh, you're getting into another truck, bro. Yeah. That was the you, first thing that I thought. You gotta I was take like, the risk. Oh, Buddy, man, just you're walk, just man. out of the just frying walk. pan and into the fire. Can but you fucking imagine? Fucking 20 Can miles? you fucking imagine? He but, gets into a fucking... And it's Leatherface. <laughs> Come back to my house wearing a fucking. Jeez. With this family, that would not surprise me if that like that's the part of it. But go ahead. So, being only five years old, Timmy wasn't able to tell the driver where he lived. So instead, Stephen took the boy to the Ukiah police station. The series of events that happened with this truck driver, like I was finding a, a lot of conflicting and confusing information because at one point. They pulled over to look at a phone book, and the phone book is where Stephen got the address for the local police station, and then got a ride to the police station. So who the fuck was this driver that picked him yeah. up? And they're just like, oh, two probably... young boys out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Who? Just tell me where. Again. I bet you Stephen was. Ah, the seventies. But 70s. also Stephen was probably like not trusting the driver either. So I was like, oh, we just want to get to town. You know what? Yeah, that's, maybe, maybe. Or, yeah, you that's, need to make a phone call and call true. somebody. That's a good point. True. And then when he went to the phone book, then he got the police station and was like, "Just take me here. Just take me yeah. here." Nice. Actually, yeah, that's that's a really good point. It's actually probably totally. Once they were dropped off at the police station, Stephen told Timmy to go inside and tell the police who he was. Timmy started to go inside, but got scared and ran back into the arms of Stephen. Well. An officer inside saw this and approached the boys, asking him who they were. Needless to say, when they found out who they were, they were shocked. I mean, Stephen, he's been... So, Timothy White went missing less than a month earlier. He went missing right, the previous so month. It's like been fresh. 16 days. They yeah. know who he is. How long was he gone for? 16 days. And Stephen Stainer at this point has been missing for seven years. So they find out about Timothy. They're like, oh, holy shit, you're the kid that's been missing for over two weeks now. Great. Who are you? It's like, oh, I'm Stephen Stainer. They're like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be be absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. It was at this point an officer called Kay Stainer and told her that she needed to sit down before he told her the news. After seven long years, Stephen Stainer was finally reunited with his family, and what followed was a whirlwind of media attention and interviews. Stephen briefly went through therapy, but soon left, refusing to disclose the full details of his abuse. Yeah, fuck that. After the nightmare they had endured, both Stephen and his family had difficulty readjusting, and as the way Stephen described it, quote, I returned almost a grown man, and yet my parents saw me at first as their seven-year-old. After they stopped trying to teach me the fundamentals all over again, it got better. But why doesn't my dad hug me anymore? Mm. Mm. Everything has changed. Sometimes I blame myself. I don't know sometimes if I should have come home. Would I have been better off if I didn't? End quote. Mm. 
That is interesting. Uh, interesting. That is And he also comes brutal. home. Part of the story is like he had been at Parnell's as shitty as it was. He had so much freedom. So like no rules, nothing. It's probably stopped getting fucked with as he got older. Right. So smoking, drinking, hanging out with his, his friends, like Try never, to get him pubic hair. No bedtime, never needing so like when you go back to your parents' house where you actually I have to shower every day? What the dude, fuck is this shit? I guess he I'd was rather like, get fucked. I can't smoke. Yeah, he was full on like smoking still, drinking. His parents were like What the fuck? I know. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, but it's you? like, what are you gonna do? Like he grew up a whole lot in those seven years, and he had to go back to being treated like a child again. And rules and also, and like, also yeah. obviously still neglected by his parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just like, oh my god. It was like, and all right, well, back to the fucking. Don't even know each other anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Seven years is a long fucking time. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, from seven to fourteen. That's a completely That's like 30 years, like, growing. Comparatively, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Steven returned to school where he was bullied by the other kids, and this made me so fucking mad to find out about Teenagers, being the sociopaths that they are, made fun of Steven for being kidnapped and molested. Yeah, fuck me. Well, first, he wouldn't, again, like you were saying, he wouldn't say anything. So he was like, what people were believing... In all the interviews, they would come and interview him at school. There was no real rules, again, the 70s, with uh, the media and, and like, the news would just literally be, like, in his classroom, right outside his class. There was no, like, protecting the child that just went through, like, the worst thing ever. They would just have a microphone in his face no matter where he was. Fuck. And he was maintaining that... You know, he just, you know, Kenneth Parnell just kind of wanted a kid. I was taken care of. I was fine. I was just away from my family. And so there was no, he just did not want to talk about what else happened. And regardless of the fact that he was abused, just having that much media attention is going to, it's going to put a target on your back for all the other kids. Yeah. Exactly. So even if it was for something good, they would still make fun of him for it. But the shit that they were making fun of him for... Kids are monsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially in the 70s. For oh, the, the 70s. <laughs> the bullying led Stephen to drop out of school, and he began to once again drink heavily. Due to his alcoholism, his father, oh, once like intent... Yeah, once intent on finding his son no matter what, kicked him out of the family home. <laughs> and this is within, like... A year yeah. of coming home. Yeah. It's like, oh, you've been gone for seven years. So happy to have you back. Get oh, you're, you're not house. adjusting well? Yeah. Get the fuck out. But you're, like, annoying now. Like, Wait, you, you want a hug? Yeah. You want a hug? Get out. You're you drinking. want a hug and you have a drinking problem because yeah. of what happened to you? Get the <laughs> yeah. fuck out of my Get house. Get the fuck out of my what house, What else do bro? you want next? Therapy? Yeah. Oh, and the dad was actually very against therapy because, oh, the 70s, it was, like, huge stigma and the dad was looked down upon a 70s hardcore dad that was just like no son of mine you know let's just get things back together let's just get it back (laughs) you're fine now you're fine come on seven years of abuse are making me look bad exactly walk it off son he's like i kind of need to talk to somebody nah nah man up yeah steven went on to marry his sweetheart jody edmondson in 1985 while they were both still in their late teens uh jody was 17 years old when they got married yeah, high, from high school, babe? Yeah, 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 high school sweetheart. Okay. And he's by that point, he's really good at 
sexual stuff. <laughs> oh, God, Joel. Dang. Probably blew bro. her fucking mind. Cut it out. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> You're too into your character right now, dude. Um, blew yeah, her fucking mind was, first yeah, night. Dude, so many bloopers Are in you this a virgin one? too? No, I'm not. <laughs> I've been fucking for seven years. Yeah. Um, don't ask me about it, but she was in high school. I think she was like very protective of him. And like help, you know what I mean. So that's how uh, they she, yeah, yeah, there was like a, there was a. Uh, it's not that they related. Like, yeah, she felt. So like, if people she, were was bullying, like she was like one of the one of the few people that was him, yeah. sympathetic towards him. Yeah, she would like make sure he's okay and be nurturing. So Aww. the couple went on to have two children: a daughter named Ashley and a son named Stephen Jr. And from there, Stephen became a Mormon and began speaking with children about stranger danger on behalf of a child abduction group. Fuck yeah. Went on to, he, I absolutely love how caring he was towards anybody else that might possibly face the same situation Is as something him. bad against he, he saved yeah. Timothy he turned White's into life. a fucking killer or something? What's happening here? Not him. Yeah. So he did it. He, he came out of the darkness and, and is now you trying to rest, help people. You can rest assured, Joel, that Stephen Stainer did nothing bad after. After he, Stephen yeah. Stainer killed nobody, and you can you can rest assured can rest that assured this story not, is not done being sad. He did not kill okay. four people in Yosemite. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I just want to let you know if that's what you were thinking. No, oh God. You know what I mean. I mean, that's a natural conclusion that I would come to. Is... Yeah, mom and her daughter and an exchange student. But other than that, but he didn't. No, but he Stephen, didn't do it. Stephen no, I'm being totally serious. Stephen Stainer never killed. I don't believe you guys now. No, but Stephen, Stephen, Stainer, Stephen Stainer, didn't. Stainer never killed four people in Yo- Yosemite National Park. Jesus Christ. No, but we're being serious. Okay. No, I'm. I'm we're dead. not telling you something else, but he never did anything else bad. And after then he was. That. She tried to give back to the community. Yes, and he was a great dad and husband, and like you know, besides like a couple bouts with drinking, which like who among us? Uh, I would. Who among us doesn't? I, have I think that he gets a free problem. fucking pass. Oh, I, dude! I have been through much less, and I probably drink much more than he does. Exactly. He should be smoking sticks and drinking hard alcohol every single day, <laughs> and everyone should Shit. be like, "Yes, my friend." <laughs> You, Fine with me. You earned That's what it. I'm doing. Yes, yes. You earned it. Exactly. Stephen's story was eventually turned into a television miniseries oh, a called... Oh, yeah. Cheers to... Mm. Cheers to Stephen. Stephen. Stephen Stainer. You did it. You, you did didn't it. kill anyone else. He didn't... That seems so foreboding for some reason. It almost I'm seems, just telling almost Joel like, that he didn't. That's all. Almost seems like foreshadowing. No, it's not even a thing. I'm just like, <laughs> I thought maybe that's what Joel was thinking, so I said no. That's what I thought at first until I I finished the research. I was like, holy shit, there's there's no way this guy didn't murder four people in yeah. Yosemite National Park. Because that's where our mind goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. That's well, be, well, no, no, because, no, no. No, because we, we've... It really wasn't We've him. read so much about true crime. It's like, okay, this is the type of guy that is for sure going to... That he was right. end up doing... He'd end up Here's fucking this is for sure the type of guy that is going to decapitate a woman and stick her in the trunk of a car and set the car and on fire. And set the car on fire. He would not do that. No, Stephen Stainer wouldn't do that. But... No, he really didn't. I promise. He didn't. <laughs> no, you, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. You were going to find out... Okay. I'm serious. You are okay. going to find out by the end of this episode. Someone does it connected... 
I'll just get you out of your misery. Someone mm-hmm. does it that's connected to the story, but there's so many people who him. have been murdered in national parks that you can't narrow that down to a, why does, a specific by the way, person. Why does anyone go to Yosemite at this point? Why does anybody go to any national any park? National do do park. you realize how many people go missing in national parks? Is that where it happens the most? Thankfully, yeah. Thankfully, it's I'm shocking. not into any of that stuff. Oh, no, I don't Wait, go so outside unless I have to. So what happened to fucking fuckface after, after, after they got away? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Oh, we'll find we'll out. To the... so we'll get into that. But okay. what I wanted to say about... happy my, ending. What I wanted to say about my where my mind goes is, have you guys ever seen the documentary about Mr. Rogers? Like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? I never watched it. Or, no, I did, but I was too The one hammered. with Tom Hanks? No, 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 the, no, the, like the real one. Oh, the, the actual documentary. So the whole time, this is the way my mind works. The whole time I'm waiting for them to tell me... That's what the I did. fucked up thing that Mr. Rogers right? did. And he did nothing. And I was like, Perfect dude, angel. fuck this, right? Like, it's like, boring. What a wuss. Just like an awesome dude that like did amazing stuff, changed the world. That, like That's something that I've brought up on Iconoblast so many times. He's the only is, one. I have, I have tried to find dirt on Mr. Rogers. And oh, the can't. more I learn about him, the more I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, di- the deeper you dig, you're like, oh, my God, I fucking love him more. I, I yeah. think that he's the only pure human to ever exist throughout the 300 years that we've we have been Homo sapiens. Yeah, him and OJ, but like other than that, it's oh like, well, yeah. I mean that's 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 a given. That's like talking about Jesus, angels, innocent angels, <laughs> Orenthal, Jesus Simpson. Yes, yes. But um, yeah. So, but but in Stephen's case, we you can rest assured that Stephen Stainer. It's amazing not that. It's amazing that he turned out the way that he did. He did after. good. Yeah, it's he insane. he learned from what. At, well, that's a fucked up way to say it, but he's fucked up from it. But he's using that energy right. in a positive instead way, of yeah. just instead being of like way. medicated and pissed off and fucked doing up, crazy drunk shit himself. Yeah, getting exactly. arrested. Yeah, he, yeah. he was turning to his life. Like he was trying to just be a, a family man. Became a Mormon. Became a, became a Mormon. Well, okay, well, on... he did kind of fuck up a little bit. It, what, what are you talking about? That's yeah. like the purest form of Christian that you can be. I mean, there's some adjacent stuff with it, though. We're not loving, but go ahead. Oh, so they committed a a, a slaughter way back in the day. That was so no, long No, I'm talking ago. about LDS. Uh, well, yeah, I am too. The Mormons slaughtered a bunch of uh, innocent settlers back in like the 1800s. Yeah, I was talking about the LDS, the Latter-day Saints, the it's, Mormon adjacent. I thought they were the... Pretty the sure same the, shit? Yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, is it? Yeah, the Church cool. of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, it's the same thing as Mormon. I mean, there's there's offshoots of... That's what I mean. Mormons. Yeah, there's the... There's some real the, shitty... The polygamous Mormons. Mormons have more than one life? The I'm talking poly- about mainstream Mormons. Mainstream oh. Mormons, no. LDS, yes, go. So, Stephen's story was turned into a television miniseries called I Know My First Name is Stephen. The series aired on NBC on May 21st and 22nd of 1989, with Stephen himself playing the role of one of the policemen who escorted him to see his family for the first time since his abduction. Whoa. Yeah, and his family said, like, that day on set was, like, pretty fucking amazing. Like, having him pay, play the police officer that's, like, saving And reintroducing him to his family. Yeah, yeah. That's, cool. uh, That's crazy. You can still find the the full the series online, and you can also find recordings of the 
the producer, writer, and director discussing how they're going to portray his character. Right. And it's it's interesting, but it's also – I thought that it, it felt kind of disturbing to me because the writer's like – Oh, so this is probably what he was going through at this time. So the way that we maximize on this is yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to write it in this way. And, mm-hmm. you know, he needs to. You need to feel this to way it, about though, right? his you do. Yeah. But it's you never think of it in those terms. And then I think they got the parents like kind of weirdly wrong. And so the dad was really pissed off about the movie. What, what did they make? They made him a, a hero a nice and a good guy. person. They was like, wait, that's not me. <laughs> no. I never hugged my son. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What the fuck? I think they made him like, so they made the mom like just this like super doting mom that was just like housewife, amazing. And they made, but that she also like urged the dad to, you know, whip the kids when they were bad or whatever. And then the dad was just this totally unfeeling like, which by the way, I don't think it was super un- not accurate, but when the dad saw it was like, Obviously pissed off. I don't need my wife to tell me to beat my children. Yeah, I'm a yeah. Man. He was like, yeah. she never fucking told me. I did it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen and his new family continued to live in Merced, California, where he worked at a pizza parlor. He, he purchased, mm-hmm. stayed in Merced. I would have got the fuck out of there. How fucking crazy is that, I, right? I think I would want to get the hell out of there, too. 100%. Stephen purchased a motorcycle and spent his time focusing on creating a normal life for himself and his brand new family. Then, on September 16th, 1989, only nine years after escaping from Kenneth Parnell, Stephen's motorcycle collided with a car as he was driving home from work. The driver of the car fled the scene, and Steven Stainer was left to die from a fatal head injury. What the fuck? But he died. He didn't do anything else wrong. It was a motorcycle accident. I'm sorry, but you have a motorcycle. Yeah. Wait, how long later was this? Nine Nine years. He was only 24 years old. He was free for nine years and then died in a, a freak motorcycle accident. Was he happy at the time? Considering by all much accounts, as you could be. by all accounts, his I mean, kids were ha- like he was happy the best. As you can be. Yeah, his kids don't really have anything. No, they bad do to interviews. Like his his daughter's like super into true crime. Like they do interviews. They loved him. He was the best. Like okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, a good way to go then. Like, look, it's gonna happen. Just ripping, dude. He was Every, just ripping. Everybody's gonna die dude, on a twenty-four <laughs> drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably wheelie into the car. Wheelie. Yeah. <laughs> But everyone, he was living it. Everyone's going to die on a motorcycle eventually. Exactly. Same thing happened to Arnold, but he lived. <laughs> Wait, so, in real life? Yeah. When he was governor, he got in a, he, he crashed head on into a car on his motorcycle. Remember for a while like, he had that... just got up and like shook it off. He had that... He had a mark on his face. It was of from, course the the five the five person family in the car that he crashed oh, into. All he, dead. He killed them. Totally. No, Completely he, it was dead. a T-bone. He T-boned a car. And he flew over the car and landed on the ground on the other side and just got up. It was like, I, my nose is a little bit <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he put a like, little fucking butterfly band-aid on it and yeah. just like went Million to dollars worth of damages to the road Everybody else and, is and the dead. street, <laughs> the car. He actually, it wasn't even the motorcycle. Like him falling on the ground like dented that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the street still has a the dent. The street still has the dent. Car totally fine. Following Stephen's death, over 500 people attended his funeral. 14-year-old Timothy White acted as one of his pallbearers, forever grateful that Stephen saved him from Kenneth Parnell. 
Timothy White went on to become a deputy for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, Fuck as yeah. well as giving lectures to children about the dangers of kidnapping. So he kind of followed in Stephen's that footsteps, That's letting kids know, like, hey, don't trust some some random dude that comes up and says, like, hey, does your mom want to donate any furniture to a church? Because they will straight up kidnap you. He got, he got it a little bit, too, those 16 days he was there. No, he didn't. Apparently, um... Apparently, Stephen, like, totally saved him and, like, completely... Stopped it every yeah, time? Stopped yeah, stopped it and kept so he him didn't with get him. Molested. Like, no. Fuck yeah. Timothy yeah. White has... Maintained. Yeah, maintained Stephen's that... Stephen's a hero. That, yeah, dude. He went out like a fucking superhero. Yeah, dude. Uh, he went out, well, kind of like James, like a, James like a, Dean, but... Yeah, like a champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a champion death. I'll give it to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could I could choose worse ways to The fact that die. he bought a motorcycle is cool. And I hope he was boozing, right? Yeah, so smoking, like... drinking, jacking, jerking, <laughs> motorcycle, boom! <laughs> he's the fucking best. <laughs> Smoking, drinking, jacking, jerking is yeah. the from new his... <laughs> title of the episode. <laughs> but love it, love it. And then in, in parentheses, ah, the 70s. Ah, the 70s. Ah, the 70s. Kenneth Parnell, mm. the villain of our story, was oh. arrested and convicted for the kidnapping of Stephen Stainer and Timothy White. Unfortunately, due to a bunch of bureaucratic bullshit, he was given a seven-year sentence and never charged with the sexual assault he had committed against Stephen Stainer. Yeah, really? and Stephen had to... Is it because Stephen wouldn't admit it that he did it? No, he it was eventually a, did. It was a combination of some of the assaults being past the statute of limitations, and then also it was outside of the jurisdiction of Merced, California. So with Red like combining, yeah, combining all bullshit. those things in the years and the whatever, it equaled this insane amount that everyone was pissed about, but... The 70s. So that's ah, still the same, though. Yeah, but that would fucking no, never happen. Laws right changed now. specifically yeah. because of this case. Yeah. Okay, good. And um, he finally uh, testified against him, which he did not want to do, obviously, right? He didn't want to get up on the stand and see him and talk about, like, because he was still, in a way, a little bit scared of him. So he ended up getting on the stand, going through all of this again, Ugh. like, talking about it trying to get him convicted and then finding out that in five years he will be back on the streets. So well, he cool. got a, he got a seven year sentence, but he was paroled after five years. Mm-hmm. He spent less time in custody. He spent less time in prison than, than, than Stephen Stainer spent being abused by him. Is that fucking crazy? That's fucked. That is again, like this is one of that those is cases ridiculous. that, uh, changed a lot of things. So like, good ultimately came from it but the fact that all of this shit had to happen in order for laws to change and sentences and the it's way stupid. that we... that's human nature yeah you know? it's it's everything has to go wrong before you'll fix yes. it if it ain't broke yes or if it doesn't like directly affect you you don't care do about it yeah spoiler alert everything about this story is tragic <laughs> from start to finish there's no what happening. happens to this fucking guy then he gets out then what so well, he gets out in what year? Parnell's, uh, he was released five years after being sentenced. He got he got out, like, before 1990. Were uh, they living in the same town then? Because he didn't die until nine years later. Uh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> oh. get into it. Oh, okay. Parnell's accomplices, Edward Murphy and Randall Poorman, were both convicted of lesser charges. Steve, uh, Stephen later said that Murphy was kind to him and felt that he was just as much of a victim of Parnell's manipulation as he was. Thankfully, Parnell didn't entirely escape justice. 
in 2004, at 71 years old, Kenneth Parnell was once again arrested, this time for trying to purchase a four-year-old boy from his caretaker for $500. Parnell was already... Uh, he already, like his health Christ. was already failing, and so he, he had, had a, a he, he had, had a caretaker. caretaker, and he was trying to get his caretaker to help him purchase a four year old child for five hundred dollars. And this is why, to this day, the sentences are longer because they are proven to, you know, they would just get they, out and do they it get out and do again. It. It's not something that you just go like, oh, so, sorry, not into that anymore. Oh There's no! I'm totally not, into, into, totally not into kids anymore. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure. until he was 71 I'm in sure 2004. Was that was the only time he got caught. Exactly only time right. he got caught. Yeah, I Freaking I think that that's bitch. the case also. Exactly right. I hate this guy. Uh, why? <laughs> he just loves children. Fred Rogers loved children. <sighs> not I bet you party though. with him though. <laughs> I'd go to a party with him you so I go to kill a party. Him. Oh, I thought you meant that, that Kenneth Parnell and Fred Rogers partied together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that would be a wild fucking party. Jeez, oh, death match. Make them fight each other, yeah. So during the trial, two surprise witnesses were called to the stand. One of them being Timothy White, his former victim. And Fuck the yeah. other witness was none other than Randall Poorman, the person who had helped abduct Timothy when he was only five years old. Uh, the other teenager? Yeah, the oh, yes. so it okay. was it was yeah, Stephen yeah. Stainer's teenage friend that had helped abduct Timothy because Stephen Stephen was sabotaging all of the abductions, so he got, got Randall Porman. This was the first time that Randall Porman and Timothy White had seen each other since Randall Porman had dragged him, li- literally dragged him, literally dragged him into a car. At the trial. Timothy White and Randall Porman spoke for the first time since Timothy's kidnapping all those years ago. Timothy embraced Randall and told him that he forgave him, giving both of them a little bit of closure to the horrific events of their childhoods. Wow. That takes Now, did Randall do anything balls. else? Uh, he was just kind of a little druggy kid, right? Yeah, he, he just, just got tricked, got free cigarettes and tw- twenty and bucks. Drugs. Uh, like well, he he, he got some weed too, so give him a little bit of leeway. Back in the seventies, weed was a little bit harder oh, to come that was by. Hardcore. Yeah. So Kenneth Parnell was convicted. And there was probably some bullshit story where he, he didn't know that that kid was going to get fucked with. He, probably, he was literally like, "I'm gonna, yeah, like." Grab this uh, kid for he, me. I, I need to tell him to go to church. Yeah, Parnell he like, was manipulating had a way. everybody. Yeah. He had a way of being like, just get him in the car. He's going down the wrong path. I need to get him like, I'm going to save his life. Exactly right. So Kenneth Parnell was convicted of a, attempting to purchase a child and sentenced to life in prison in 2004. He died of natural causes four years later at the California Medical Facility uh, facility in Vacaville, California. After being fucking raped a thousand times by the guards and staff. I hope. I I hope to God that's the case, but he is literally the... He's the villain of the story, and he is the only person that dies of natural causes. He's the only person that lives a full life. Right. Motherfucker. Timothy White died on April 1st, 2010 from a pulmonary embolism at the age of 35. Damn it. Damn it. What is that? Is that the shit that happens if you go to the recall place and total recall? Schizoid embolism. Uh, yeah, yeah. He went to total recall to relive his time as a spy on Mars and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. fried his brain. His, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obvi, obvi. What is it actually, though? 
sort of like a. I think it's like a stroke. It's like you, you have something. Your brain just stops something working. somewhere. His and brain you exploded. Die. Yeah. It's like from scanners. Okay. Life, being the cruel mistress it is, allowed the villain of the story to be the only one to live a full life. Bitch. On August 28th, 2010, a statue of Stephen Stainer and Timothy White was erected in Applegate Park in Merced, California. Another statue was later dedicated to Stephen and Timothy by the residents of Ukiah. Both statues depict 14-year-old Stephen holding the hand of 5-year-old Timothy, leading him to safety as he had all those years ago. That's good. I like that. But this isn't the end of the story. Throughout all of this... Stephen's older brother, Carrie Stainer, was in the background, mm, neglected and suffering abuses of his own. This would eventually lead to the second tragedy to befall the Stainer family, which we will cover in the next episode. Oh, God. A little teaser. So, discussion time on that is if anyone's going to become, you know, a crazy, like, Murderer. That's what I mean. We're gonna say some people died. Theoretically, we're just spitballing here. Mm -hmm. We're just spitballing. It's his brother. I thought you were gonna say it was his kids or something. That's what I kept thinking. No, you don't know yet. Every other, I will say, like every other person in the story, like you're thinking Timothy White. If he becomes a murderer, you go, I get it, right? Makes sense. Randall, he becomes a. I get it. Fucking Stephen, if he like becomes, you know, is like crazy. Starts doing the things that were done to him. Whatever you go, fine. I understand that. Yeah, you it's can the, you can kind of see the, the process. You but... were bummed. You weren't. <laughs> I saw no, your little hints at the older older brother having yes. some problems. So sad. Yes, I mean, there's other things involved that actually happened to Carrie as well. But yeah, we'll get Carrie? into that in the next. Uh, his the, brother. O- the oldest. Okay, the older oldest name is what's. Carrie Stainer. Carrie Stainer. Okay. Carrie Stainer. So the story of Stephen and Carrie Stainer. Well, of course and you have a hard life. Family. His name's Carrie. Right? right? It's like having a boy named Sue. You think it's going to make yeah. you tough? It just turns you into a fucking murderer. <laughs> and I think I I think the epi- the title of that episode needs to be like, Wrong Kid Died or something like that. <laughs> because that's like the reasoning that people give behind everything. But we will cover that in the next episode. And I'm going to take that. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting story also. Because the the timeline is what shocked me the most. Yeah. Because the, the second half of this episode is astoundingly recent. Yes. Considering that, that the first part happened back in the 70s. Right. And, and it wasn't concluded until, you know, the, the mid to late 80s. Yeah. So then the next episode also, alternate title. Oh, the 80s, right? <laughs> we can find some other holes in the system mm-hmm. that could only happen in the 80s. Yes. True. I, well, I think it's kind of this, the same holes that just hadn't been plugged Yeah, yeah, yeah. So between the Stainer family, I think, you know, was hugely responsible for plugging all the holes in the child abduction, murdering, good, whatever. Good. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah, good word usage. If you didn't get it. <laughs> there, was a, there was a really tasteless joke they I could have made there. Yeah, trying the to keep holes. it clean. Yeah, it got real quiet. Cause, yeah. we're, all, we're, all thinking, we're all thinking all thinking the same, the same thing, thing here. Look. We're all recently reformed dirtbags. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Anyways, thank you for joining us on the uh, Stevens, Stephen and Carrie Stainer case. Mm-hmm. Colon. All the 70s. 
Part one. Part one, yeah. Episode two of Jesse Wiseman's Crime Corner. Subtitled The Baron Stainer Brothers. That's I, w- I want everyone to, to, we should end the episode with everyone just imagining Stephen doing a wheelie on the motorcycle, but yep. he's also standing. He's standing. He's got his hands out, reached out as far as he can, like stick, a cross. A stick, a beard. He's got a stick in one hand yes. and a beard in the other. Freebird is takes just a glaring in the background. Closes his eyes and Boom. happily ever after for him. Right? Yeah. It maybe had to end that way. Rest you in peace, Stephen Stainer. Yeah. Hero. Joel was having a hard time with that one. <laughs> he may not want to do that. I almost fucking cried at one point.